Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On our latest episode, we're talking PlayStation's tenuous 2018. And have the streaming wars already begun? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another slam bang episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being back with us for another great episode, indeed. And you know, if I'm here, guess who's here with me? It's the man, the myth, the legend behind Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. I'm just, I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm playing Rise of the Tomb Raider. Had a good beer. Been shooting people with bow and arrows, man. And never in my life has a non-gun weapon been so much fun. Well, I, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's something I played in the past, and I truly enjoyed it as well. And I did do a lot with the bow and arrow, and I just truly enjoyed all my time within the Tomb Raider realm. But... I know you're going to be covering in the near future on one of your shows, Topic Ocalypse, something relating to the Tomb Raider franchise as well, correct? Heck yeah, and it's going to be featuring this uh, a special guest host. Um, his name is rhymes with Schmerald Schmashford. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, it's going to be on an upcoming Topic Ocalypse, which you can catch coming up soon on all the great Humanic Media channels. Well, it's going to be another great episode we have for you. Indeed, we've got Rob McCallum standing by in the Cosmic Crossfire. We've also got my good friend, Anthony Barberin, our man in the know when it comes to the NBA. He's going to give us a little bit of insight what's going on in the NBA at the halfway point. Plus, also as well, Josh and I are going to be talking, well, might actually end up arguing, over Thor. In yeah, the for real. Side. It's a good thing there's a screen separating us or else um, this could end badly. It, it could end badly because we're going to be arguing over Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Plus also as well, we're going to be talking PlayStation's tenuous 2018. And I don't know, does PlayStation 4 have enough to stay with the Nintendo Switch as far as sales are concerned? Or is it going to start seeing that downslide of, of sales that, well, you know, PlayStation 4 was going to ultimately end up having? Could 2018 be that year? We're going to talk about that and a lot more on today's show. Truly appreciate, again, you hanging out with us. But first, Josh, guess what this week coming up is? Ooh, I don't know. What is it? Is it it's something special? President's Weekend. No, 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 no. Black Friday. No, 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 no. Christmas? No, 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 no. What's this going on? Is, Tell me. This is one of the first weeks that 
a true video game release schedule is coming out right now. I mean, we've got two great games that are actually being released out onto the marketplace. We've got Mutant League Football, which I know Rob McCallum is part of as far as be a little bit behind the marketing in, in Mutant League Football, and that's coming out to all the major consoles, but also as well, Monster Hunter, a big hit in previous years in Japan, is coming again. The latest addition to the Monster Hunter franchise is debuting in the US and Europe also as well in the marketplace for PS4, PC, and Xbox One. It's coming out this week, and I'll tell you what, a lot of people are excited about it. There's ads everywhere for it. There was a beta that just finished. It looks like it could be a very, very solid game, either whether you go at it alone as a single entity or whether you team up with some friends. Josh, I want to ask you, the Monster Hunter series has been extremely popular in Japan, but it has had mm, not always the greatest of success when it comes to the European and the North American markets. So I ask you, Josh, do you think that this time around that this iteration of Monster Hunter could be the one that becomes a breakout hit and it gives everybody a better idea of what the Monster Hunter series is all about? Well, you and I, we were at E3 last year and we saw the, you know, the promotional materials coming out. We saw the videos, we saw the gameplay, we saw like the big old booth that Sony had set up for Monster Hunter. And, you know, I think before, like, because the series has always been, well, it's been exclusive to Nintendo. So, like, we saw iterations of it, like, on the, on the, uh, the Wii and the Wii U and the 3DS and stuff like that. But we've never seen it come to major consoles. And I think that's what's so exciting about this one is the fact that we well, can I wanna, play I wanna it. Just, I want to say it's actually coming to PC, PS4, and Xbox One this week. I know that uh, a lot of people are excited about it. Yeah, and I'm, I, I would hope that at some point they would... Uh, you know, I don't know if did they give up on Nintendo or what the deal is, but like I would hope at some point it would come out on the Switch. But it also at the same time, like it looks like such a graphics intensive game that's something that you wouldn't want to play on the Switch. You would want to play on something that can give you that true high def output. You know, I, I think before, like it's just it's a matter of marketing for Monster Hunter because well, it looks like a fun game and the world is beautiful and the characters look interesting. They, I think what has been turning gamers off of it is the fact that they don't, we don't know anything about the story. Like we know that the world looks amazing and the creatures look cool and it just, you know, the gameplay looks awesome, but we don't know anything about the story or if there is a story, if it's something that obviously like with most uh, JRPGs, I don't know if you would consider Monster Hunter JRPG, it kind of is, but uh, you know, if it's something that we're going to invest a lot of time into, we want to know if there's going to be some kind of payoff, whether it comes in the form of a story or some kind of like bonus material or weapons or whatever we can use to do a, a second playthrough where, you know, like Final Fantasy 15 lets you play through the game. It not only has a good story, but it lets you play through the game again using your equipment and gear and what and whatnot. But, you know, I think gamers, like if they were to tell you more about the story and let you know what's going on with those characters it would do a lot more for marketing than just, you know, showing us footage of the guy fighting the monsters and stuff like that. Am I, do you think I'm wrong in that, you know, that regards to the game? Well, in previous iterations, I have tried out with the Monster Hunter series. That's pretty much the gist of the game. The traveling back and forth to cities or trying to 
you know, come up with the right combinations of, of weapons and things of that nature to battle against the monsters. That part of it, to me, has been lacking as far as any story or cohesion in previous iterations. I've not been able to connect with it, but that's not saying it's either good or bad. It's just something I haven't been able to connect to. So I'm hoping that there will be, like you said as well, something larger than just going out and slaying the monsters. Give us a purpose, give us a reason, give us something compelling to, I guess, latch onto so that we can actually go ahead and find a, a continuing reason why we want to go ahead and slay those monsters either by ourselves or with a team. Now, I do like the fact that it is a co-op optional program if you want to it's not forcing you to go ahead like some other co-op games in the past that really didn't keep up to the mustard on that but i will say this capcom is really trying hard to go ahead and promote this they've got the floor when it comes to the video game audience for playstation 4 xbox one and pc now at this point in time officials and developers at capcom have stated that their development plan for monster hunter world was so far back that the Nintendo Switch wasn't an option at that time. No problem, but it seems like at some point in time, I think they haven't outright said no, but I think at some point in time it will be on the Switch, but maybe at the earliest it would be Christmas at the outset, but I'd probably say even a 2019 release possibly as well. But I think eventually it will go on the Switch. I just think they had to develop it on the systems that they were given at the time four years ago, and obviously those were it. But I will say this, Capcom is trying everything they can to make this the biggest game event so far in 2018. And they are trying very hard to have this become a breakout hit in North America and Europe. So at least Capcom is making every effort to make this a hit. Now, whether it will actually latch on to audiences, we'll have to wait and see. There was a beta this weekend that really got strong numbers. A lot of people were streaming it and playing it and having a great time. So it looks like at least initially there will be some decent sales. And I think a lot of people will will latch onto it because it is the first really new semi-big or big game, whatever you want to classify it as, for the first time this year. So Capcom's done a great job of promoting it. So if it doesn't connect with audiences if that's the case, the Monster Hunter series as a whole it going forward in the future should not try to go out of its way to try and reach a larger audience outside of Japan because it won't be worth it if it doesn't connect at this point in time. What are your thoughts on Monster Hunter World? Are you excited to be playing it? Have you tried out the beta and, and are, are really excited to go ahead and get the game this week? Share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com also as well. Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. It's going to be a great episode we have for you today. We've got Rob McCallum standing by, and later in the broadcast, we have also have Anthony Barberin talking about the NBA. But for right now, we've got, well, two of our featured artists that we showcase every now and then in our music scene here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. It is Chad from Hyperschmidt, along with Moy Navarro, and this is their cover of the script's Hall of Fame. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos.
clock You can move mountains, you can break rocks You can be a master, don't wait for luck Dedicate yourself and you'll go find yourself Standing in the Hall of Fame You can walk straight through hell with a smile You can be a hero, you can be the goal Breaking records that you thought never could be broke Yeah, do it for your people, do it for your pride How you gonna know if you never even tried? Do it for your country, do it for your name Cause it's gonna be Standing in the hall You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Box Art arrives this year, just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And yes, it is the Cosmic Crossfire. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source, and he's back. He is the man, the myth, the legend at Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out all his great projects today on robmccallumfilms.com. It is Rob McCallum. I'm here. I'm here. 
So what's going on in your mind when it comes to everything in pop culture? Hulu has touted that March of the Penguins 2 will be coming out with the same creative team. Now, Hulu is also behind the new Animaniacs coming back in 2020 with executive producer Steven Spielberg, Catch-22 from uh, George Clooney, Castle Rock, which is, of course, the J.J. Uh, Abrams, Stephen King a horror anthology series. And then there's another horror anthology series from uh, Bloomhouse TV, which will do, I think, 12 standalone episodes in the budget-conscious point of filmmaking that Bloomhouse is, is very well known for between Get Out and Paranormal Activity and, uh, and a host of other films. How does all these uh, acquisitions and announcements and, and productions and development really bode for, for Hulu going forward and what is going to affectionately become known as The Streaming Wars? Well, right now we're getting knee deep into it, aren't we? I mean, with Netflix doing all they can to try and make themselves the preeminent streaming option with Disney and the Fox merger and the Hulu acquisition and all that with a future that could possibly lead into a Disney streaming service with CBS All Access promoting Discovery. I'm mean, We're knee deep in the streaming wars already, my friend. Just right now, Netflix may be the leader, but there are a lot of entities that are like really nipping at their heels. And Hulu, with the announcement that they've made with their association with George Clooney, uh, also as well, like you said, with the other announcements that they made, they're just pretty much you know, staking their claim and trying to grab that audience away from Netflix. And I talked about this with Josh a couple of weeks ago when we said Will Smith doing so well with Bright with 11 million plus viewers in its, in its opening uh, time frame and then also as well getting greenlighted for Bright 2. You just see the fact that these stars who may not be seeing the same level of success in the theaters that they once did Obviously, 2017 was not exactly the best year for George Clooney in his theatrical career with his Suburbicon doing so poorly at the box office. Maybe needed something like this to reignite his career and, and maybe keep fresh in the eyes of a lot of viewers out there. It certainly worked for Adam Sandler and Will Smith, and I definitely think it will work for George Clooney as well. Well, it's funny you say that because I had just caught uh, Dave Letterman's new series on Netflix last night, which is a Netflix monthly event where he basically sits down for an hour-long chat in an interview format. Uh, season one with six people that he admires. He says the first episode was with uh, President Barack Obama. And the next episode is with George Clooney that will come out of probably February 12th if they stick to uh, the same day every month. And that seems to uh, be interesting. So there's another shot of Clooney being, you know, maybe a little bit more publicly visible. Uh, I mean, you could point to someone like DiCaprio the same way, right? Like he's not really in the public light right now. So we'll see what happens when his next film comes out. And, you know, apparently he's rumored to be in the Tarantino uh, film, the Manson biopic. And I think Clive Owen has also been attached to that as well. So I really like that casting between those and, two. And guys Tom Cruise is actually also being considered as well. Oh, okay. There you go. TC. It'll be interesting to see Tom Cruise in a Tarantino film. But hey, we saw Mike Myers in a Tarantino film too. It's actually watching Inglorious Bastards last night. So that does it for the Cosmic Crossfire this week. We covered uh, March of the Penguins 2 and everything behind Hulu and how that gives them ammunition for the streaming wars. Well, if you have any questions out there for Rob and I for the Cosmic Crossfire, just uh, send your 
questions in, or if you, if you got something that you want us to tackle as far as a great topic to cover, share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanity Media, Game Source, and Rob McCallum Films as well, where you need to check out all of his great projects. You know, obviously the Kitty documentary coming in late March and a lot of other great things as well. I know he's hinted on this program before. So a lot of great things coming down the pike from Rob McCallum Films. And the only way to stay in tune is Rob McZop on Twitter and Rob McCallum Films on Facebook as well. I really hope that I can share more about what uh, Jay Bartlett and I are, are up to, that things have been progressing behind the scenes in some very exciting ways. It should be happening soon, some sort of announcement, whether it's a big deal or whether we just start to kind of pepper, salt and pepper the pavement, so to speak, with, with what's happening. But we do have another documentary that we are working on. We uh, will be shooting some stuff very soon. We are getting the pieces behind the scenes together, and it is a bit of a quest. So I don't know if I've said too much already, but more to come as always. Uh, I had to put in that very, very big pun there. For fans of the work of Rob McCallum, or if you haven't caught his work previously, obviously you want to start with Nintendo Quest, which is available where? RobMcCallumFilms.com. Go to RobMcCallumFilms.com. You can buy it on DVD, 3-disc Blu-ray, digital, via Vimeo or Amazon. You can check it out there. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I was trying to get you even more pop because, yeah, some people every now and then. No, I got it. I got it. One, one, one stop shop. Come on. One destination. Yeah. Okay, fair enough, fair enough indeed. Rob, it's always great having you on the show. We just truly appreciate you taking the time to be a part of the pop culture cosmos. And of course, each week right here in the Cosmic Crossfire. Thanks. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Whether you're listening to us every Monday night, 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, or if you're listening to us on Croc Radio at 8 p.m. Eastern Monday, we also have the PCC Multiverse on those channels as well. The Podcast Radio Network on Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, and on Croc Radio again on Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Our shows are a part of a two-hour block on the Good Talk Radio Network, and that's on Sunday from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Arizona time. And also as well, don't forget, we're also on the Western Reserve Digital Broadcasting Network and 365live.com Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. So you have so many choices for you to listen to our live streaming type format for our shows, whether it's the Pop Culture Cosmos or the PCC Multiverse. We just appreciate you listening to onto any one of those broadcasts or if you want to download us, you just favorite or subscribe to one of our many channels that's out there on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Anchor Radio, Tangibound Network, the ESO Network, and the Gunny Geek Network, which has also a great show called Strange and Unusual, 
where Alice and Azzy run into some old friends and a beloved franchise is maligned by the Dark Nerds. Got to check out one of their latest episodes today. That's the Strange and Unusual podcast, which you can listen to on the Gunny Geek Network, where, of course, you can download all of our episodes as well. So, Josh, PlayStation, my friend, what we were talking about earlier with Monster Hunter, they were pretty strong in their promotion of the Monster Hunter world that's out, even though it's on PC and Xbox One as well. It seems to be primarily focusing on the PlayStation 4 version, but this is, to me, a very tenuous year for the PlayStation 4. They could either stay strong or they can really fall hard this year because of the fact that Nintendo Switch is now the big boy on the block with their sales. PlayStation 4 is kind of slipping a little bit ever since Black Friday. They were still very good then, but December hasn't wasn't too kind to them. January... I don't know, probably slipping a little bit more, haven't been promoting as much. I ask you, Josh, with all the great games that are coming out, and I'm going to list some of them that are coming out here in a minute, what are your thoughts on PlayStation's 2018 before we really hear anything that's you know new that's coming out that's exclusive at E3 or anything like that, your thoughts on PlayStation's 2018? PlayStation is like that parent when you're a kid and they promise you that they'll take you to like target or toys r us but they don't tell you when it's like every day you're like hey can we go here can we go here can we go here and they're like no not today no not today no not today and like well i'll i admit that at e- their e3 performance i was mesmerized by some of like the footage that they showed and even like the kingdom hearts 3 uh thing they showed at their musical before e3 I was drawn into it. Like I really wanted to to like sit there and play those games, but nothing, nothing. They have not given us. I know um, Shadow of the Colossus is uh, scheduled for February or next month. We don't know when the Final Fantasy VII remakes coming out. God of War, Last of Us Two, Death Stranding. We don't know when any of these games are coming out. Or like Detroit Become Human. You know, Quantic Dream is having that whole shenanigans saying we don't know what's going on with that. Exactly. Um, well, there, well, let me give you a list of, of some of the confirmed, well, semi-confirmed titles that are supposed to be coming out this year. And we'll discuss whether or not they're going to be delayed into 2019. Let's start off with the Final Fantasy VII Remake, supposedly coming to life in 2018. God of War, I think that one's going to be a little bit uh, safer target because actually we've already seen television commercials early 2018 supposedly and they've released um pre-orders already so that's how you know that's a good sign yeah that's a good sign the last of us 2 that's a pretty safe bet naughty dog tries to hold to their release dates pretty good but they're not perfect uh, this you know they've have been slipping you know uncharted 4 for example but they try to hold to it so i'm going to give them a benefit of the doubt that last of us 2 will probably be their big contender for the fall season death stranding that game looks as weird as anything that that has come out as of uh, you know what's funny with that is the moment that they're the trailers look sick but the moment they're like hey guillermo del toro's involved in this i'm like you know we're not going to see that for five years <laughs> well, and then also you know norman Reedus is a part of it but it's it's kojima and anytime you're dealing with Kojima, you can have delays. And remember, he was still sh- trying to shop and look for a studio, I think, what, late 2016 or something like that. So 
to me, I don't think 2018 is a feasible time frame. I really think that's a 2019 game at the earliest. Now, you mentioned Detroit yeah. Become Human. Quantic that Dreams, a, yeah. Yeah, Quantic Dreams has come up in the news as of late because of allegations of not only racism, but also as well uh, sexual harassment in the workplace by two of the leading individuals in that company, including David Cage, have been alleged as far as perpetrating that type of environment which is very disconcerting, which is bad publicity, bad PR for the game that is supposed to be coming out this year. So that that could say game not only a development wise, but even if it does come out, it could set it already on a backwards note. Right. Do you remember um, when the Lost Legacy uh, Uncharted was in development? They had a similar issue with uh, people saying that, like, hey, this is what's going on at Naughty Dog and you know nobody it, the problem eventually just kept getting swept under the rug um i think it they, was more of hours issue wasn't it more of an hours issue yeah yes yeah but like the pro, what the issue like you you had a place where it was really prevalent in the news and then everybody stopped talking about it and so you know at first i was like you know quantic dreams that everyone was saying that like the person who is writing these this article making these allegations he's from a french tabloid and they always lie about stuff but then um you know, Sony and Quantic Dream were like, hey, we did an internal investigation on this and it's a, you know, we couldn't find anything. And I was like, okay, well, maybe that's that's that. But then I heard that Sony blacklisted this company and that makes me think twice about what what was going on with that. And I think that Sony has such a big investment in Detroit Become Human or in Quantic Dreams that they don't want to risk what's going on with that. But that leads me to another question is, do you think that because it's a video game company, do you think that that stuff is bound to happen? All right. Not to say that it's okay, but like, do you think that that stuff is just comes with a territory and it's, it's one of those things that you just have to expect from a bunch of people working on something that appeals to a culture that is kind of makes those types of jokes and stuff. What, what are your thoughts on that? I'm not saying any of this is okay, but I'm just curious about what you think of that. Well, first of all, it is not okay in any semblance of the workplace, but I have been involved and obviously being that I'm 48 years old, been a member of management and also been an employee with several different companies in several different workplaces. And I can tell you for a fact, over the years, I've unfortunately heard and seen a lot of that stuff. And I've you know, had the fortunate ability to terminate individuals because they've acted inappropriately at the workplace. I've had to go to people and had to make the call on individuals that have acted inappropriately and made the call to go ahead and terminate them, even no matter how much promise that they had as individuals and employees. There, we had, uh, I remember one time in particular where there was this really, really fast rising individual, but that individual made one mistake and unfortunately, that that violated the company's bylines and guidelines on that, and it was clear cut. And unfortunately, that person had to go. And and you know, I, I as an employee, you see the stuff that, that's gone on for years. I mean, I worked I've worked as an employee within the eighties, the nineties, the two thousands, and and now this decade. It, Unfortunately, the workplace has evolved. It's gotten better, but there are still issues out there, and there are still companies that are not holding the line on this. And I think now these companies are really getting in tune with this inappropriate behavior that's been accepted by.
by many companies for so long, even in this decade, that it is now becoming truly unacceptable at, at any realm. And so I believe at, to some extent that in this workplace, when you're dealing with that type of environment for so many hours, because these computer animators and, and people working on these video games work a tremendous amount of hours when they when they log them in, especially as the game gets closer and they go into their quote unquote crunch time. You know, if you, if you told me I had to bet on it, I'd probably say that there was probably something going on there because some of these incidents are really specific that I read in and a lot of news outlets are picking this up as something that seems like a very credible source. Because I was talking to, I was talking to somebody about this and I was like, you know, I don't think that it's going to bring about a drastic change. I'm glad that people are more aware of what's happening now. But then again, like on the opposite side of that coin, you have games like Borderlands, for example, that actually like caters to that type of humor. So it's it's just, you know, it's very situational and it's like it's you got to know what you're getting into. But like, I'm glad that people are paying attention to this, but there's always a line and it needs to not be crossed. You need to know when it's not acceptable to say certain things. And I think that's a problem that, you know, we will always have an issue with. Well, the, the actual thing I want to touch on last when it comes to this game and this situation that's going on is Quantic Dream. You, you, you said it before, Sony has a lot of invested in Quantic Dream, but we got to remember, Quantic Dream has never produced a big hit for Sony on any of its PlayStation platforms, correct? Right, but it has a lot of games that were highly anticipated. They were always thinking outside the box with their games whether it was Heavy Rain or some of their other games that they've that they've released as well, they have always thought outside the box with their games. And I think that's why Sony and PlayStation continues to go ahead and fund their work. But commercially wise, they have not been the greatest asset in the PlayStation portfolio. So if it gets too much to bear and there's a lot of bad PR and the game goes in the toilet as soon as it gets released, that could be a bad sign for not only PlayStation, but also Quantic Dream as well. I want to make sure I mentioned before we head on out of the segment that also coming up or that's supposed to be due out this year is something that I know Josh is looking forward to, the Spider-Man exclusive game for the PS4, Days Gone, Kingdom Hearts 3, that one I'm pretty sure will also be delayed as well, but I'm hoping I'm proven wrong on that. And also the Shadow of the Colossus redo, which everybody knows was such a beautiful game back in the PS2 era. Hopefully it gets redone very well and will look great on a PlayStation 4 as well. But your thoughts on any of those games? I know you got a little bit to chime in on when it comes to the Spider-Man exclusive. Right. And one more thought on Quantic Dream. I think the real tragedy of it all is like the people that worked on the game, like to have if something were to go wrong and those people were to lose their jobs because the game didn't sell what it was supposed to because this whole scandal thing. And that's what makes me really sad. But, you know, we're talking about Final Fantasy VII and Kingdom Hearts Three. Let me tell you about, uh, what's his name, Tetsuya Nomura? Is that correct? Yeah, Tetsuya Nomura. I don't know why they keep giving him projects because he takes, he, uh, he just, he takes forever to do anything kingdom hearts 3 has been like if that doesn't release this year i don't think like there's so much money and time invested in it that if that doesn't release this year i don't see that franchise going on i really don't because 
we've been what it was it's like five five or six years ago when we first saw it, caught a glimpse of it and even then it was rumored for a couple of years before that but i don't know why they gave him final fantasy 7 he was an animation director on that game and that doesn't give him like he had nothing to do with the story so if he took forever to see king to have kingdom hearts 3 come out i don't know it could be years before we see final fantasy 7 i know everyone's hoping to see a 2018 release date for the first episode but you know that's like that's slim the original game was four discs and a lot of people put like 120 hours into it so you imagine a game with that size and scope being put in the hands of somebody who takes disgusting amount of time to put games together i it, the chances are looking very slim you know as for spider-man insomniac games that was uh, correct me if i'm wrong but that was um infamous right insomniac did infamous yes that is correct yeah so I have no doubt that they can handle an open world game like that, uh, where you have a character running around a city. I have no doubt that that that's within their realm of capability. You know, I have a history with the Spider-Man games. I love them. I've been playing them since PlayStation. Absolutely adored Web of Shadows. Like I could go back and play that game an infinite number of times. You know, it's funny. Prototype, the Prototype series, kind of ripped that formula off from Web of Shadows. But you know, it's another story. Yeah, it's just, it's fun. And Spider-Man is one of those characters I always tell people, like, he appeals to so many because he's every man's hero. You know, he struggles with the, uh, with work and, you know, balancing a girl, trying to date and all this stuff and balancing a super identity, hero identity. He just wants to help people, but it ends up messing up his own life. And I think that as long as they stick to the comic format, I think that the game will be good. But the question is... When will that game come out? Because we've been, uh, you know, it's, we've been seeing at E3 for the past couple of years and we don't we still don't have a solid release date and this gets me to my next point is that sony they they do that and they build up like an infinite amount of goodwill with the fans and they just they don't give us release dates on anything and i i know that there's already whisperings going around the playstation 5 hitting as early as 2020 but these games could like drag out the next two or three years we don't know and everyone talks trash on microsoft for saying hey there's no first party exclusives. There's no like AAA. There's not enough AAA titles. You're all concerned with the indies and you just don't have enough to come out throughout the years to keep us interested. But Sony promises these games and they don't give you release dates, but just because there's so many fanboys out there, they don't care. Like Sony could not release these games till 2025 and they would still have the goodwill of the people. It just baffles me. I mean, you know, Days Gone looks like a good game, but it's one of those things where it looks good, but when are we going to get to play this thing? You know, that's, that's, that's the question we're all wondering here. Well, I'm not exactly high on Days Gone, nor Detroit Become Human, especially after what's gone on. I do not think that they will be pillars of the PlayStation portfolio for 2018. If both come out or one comes out or the other, I'm not going to say they're going to be sent to die, but I, I just don't think they're, they're going to be getting the support. Even from what we saw last year, as far as the PlayStation exclusives there, I also think that if you're going to lay a, as many, many chips on God of War, that may be too much to ask. But I, I really think if God of War does prove out to be a great game, it could help go a long way to keep people's faith in the PlayStation 4. But you're right. They announce games and they have zero timetable on when they're going to finish them. 
And that is a problem continuously for PlayStation 4. And that's something they'll have to remedy, hopefully, by the next generation. Definitely a, a very, very tenuous time for the PlayStation 4. This could be a really big year for the PlayStation 4. And it could be also one that they truly like to forget. What are your thoughts on PlayStation 4's 2018? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Before we head to the break, Josh, you got to fill us in on what's going on with your awesome content known as Humanica Media. You can catch a new topic eclipse on Monday night. We have another one. And then, you know, stay tuned for uh, Gerald is going to be on topic eclipse this week sometime. On Monday night, we're going to have a brand new episode of What About This? Wednesday night, new Inside Sports. And then I must, I think Tuesday night, a brand new episode of the Super BS Games cast. And that's great indeed. A lot of great shows coming up from Humanica Media. You want to check them out on Humanican Media's channels on YouTube, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and more. Coming up right after the break, it's Anthony Barberin. He has some thoughts on the NBA at the halfway point. And this is the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back right here with the Pop Culture Cosmos and Inside Sports talking some NBA. We're here at the halfway point of the season. Well, actually, it's just about a little past halfway point, but still, it's been a great season so far. And here to break down the halfway point of the NBA season is my good friend. He is our NBA expert and our man in the know when it comes to the round ball. He is, well, a diehard Clipper fan, and now is a good time to be one, I assure you. It's Anthony Barberin. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Just enjoying the season. I bet you well, are more than I yeah. am, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's been tough, man. It's, it's been tough with my guys and all the injuries. And uh, I even look at the, the standings now and, and, and contemplate and think, well, you know, where would we be if we had all our players all season? So that, that's true. Er, early on, when the Clippers were in the doghouse and it really looked like they were playing for the top spot in the lottery, it seemed like Chris Paul was somewhere in Houston just smirking and laughing to the side. But lo and behold, behind the coaching of, dare I say it, brilliantly by <laughs> Doc Rivers. The Clippers have become one of the big surprise teams of this NBA season. And I think I'll start right there because, like I said, we're at the halfway point of the season. What are some of the surprise teams that stand out to you as teams that you didn't think were going to do so well but have come and really done a great job with what they've had to work with so far in the NBA season? For me, um, I would I – would put my biggest surprise um honestly probably the indiana pacers I, I didn't see it i didn't think after getting rid of paul george that victor oladipo would be able to put his game together this quickly and, and be this effective um making a jump from what he was um playing with uh the thunder last year um you could see how 
it kind of hindered his game. Now he's got more space. The ball is in his hands more, and I think he's being ultra uh, ultra effective. And to me, that's the biggest surprise. I I didn't have the Indiana Pacers anywhere in the in the playoffs this year. I agree with you. Neither did I. But it looks like that trade for Paul George may, in the long run, work out even better for the Indiana Pacers. So that's something actually really good to see because I know the Indiana Pacers got a lot of grief from, I know from even you and I, in regards to that trade for Paul George. And I'm glad to see that Victor Oladipo has really stood out and also as well Sabonis really helping out off the bench as well. But I, I got another good team for you as far as surprise. How are your thoughts on the Toronto Raptors and the way they've actually continued to find a new level of excellence, even though they still get thought of as an afterthought when it comes to the Eastern Conference? I like what Toronto's been doing this season, and it's, it's centered around their their change in philosophy and, and the, their change in the way they're playing, where in years past, they've been a very ISO basketball team going one-on-one with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, having the other role players be secondary guys who, you know, get offensive rebounds or kick out for threes if they're open. Now the, the ball is moving, there's movement, other players cuts, back screens, things like that, and, and it's working a, a whole lot better for them, better for them in the long run. When they play in the, um, in the playoffs, it's, it's, it's more difficult to coach against, to guard against, and I think it, it, it leaves their star players with more energy. They don't have to work as hard to get shots. So I think Toronto, I still think they're a player away from being able to really compete from them scaring you to get out of the East. But it's refreshing to see the way they play. And I think for me, Cleveland is still the team to beat in the East, but I wouldn't put it past them to be right there where, where, where Boston is when it comes to in the playoffs. And especially way Cleveland is currently experiencing a kind of a sour note, but you and I have seen this before when it comes to Cleveland on their continual roller coaster ride during the season. But in this season in particular, even LeBron has admitted to reporters that this season has definitely been a tough one for him in regards to trying to figure out what's going on with Cleveland, their consistent lack of defensive prowess, and now their age just seems to be an issue with a lot of the same older players, even though very talented still. They are all seemingly in the same area as far as their age is concerned, and maybe that's catching up a little bit on LeBron's team with the Cleveland Cavaliers, not exactly performing up to the standard which we thought they would be at this point in the season. They're one of the teams that are kind of a disappointment this year, but I wouldn't put them as a 100% yet because they're still 10 games above 500, and they're still a team that, that is still definitely thought of as a favorite to come out of the East. Although when we talk about Toronto, yeah, that's definitely their time is now when uh, if they need to make a move, they need to make a move shortly to see if they can get past either Boston or Cleveland right now in the East. But I want to hear your thoughts on other teams that maybe have not quite been up to snuff when we we were predicting our, our teams that we thought would be doing really well. I want to hear your thoughts on teams that have disappointed so far halfway through the season. Cleveland is a team that maybe hasn't quite met up to what we thought, but there are other teams as well that have really not met up to expectations. Oklahoma City is just starting to get out of that mix, but even with their record, we thought we'd 
they I think we both thought we, they'd do a little, be doing a little bit better. But I know there's some other teams as well when it comes to a disappointment on your list that we'd be expecting from them at this point of the NBA season. As far as Oklahoma City, I'm not actually too disappointed. I, I thought that they would take a while to gel when you have a player that's as dominant as, as Russell Westbrook is with the ball in his hands um, and your other guys are guys who are used to and have played their entire career with the ball in their hands or the peak of their careers with the ball in their hands. Sometimes it, t- it takes adjusting. It's an adjustment period, especially if you, I think there's a little bit of a lack in the coaching and in, in being able to get those guys the ball where they wanted, where they needed, be able to play together. Um, I think they play too much ISO ball and there's not a good enough system to allow them to flourish together. And I think that's what's taking them so long to learn how to play as a, as a unit. And I thought that, you know, if they relied more on defense and picking up defensive pressure, then that would, that would allow them um, to jail faster and to win more games. But I, I think they're close to where they need to be. As long as they don't go in another slump, I think they'll be decent. A big disappointment for me is, is the Washington Wizards in that Eastern conference. There, there's no reason man, that they should be, you know, only five games above 500. I know John Wall, you know, has had an injury or two, and there was a stint where it was, you know, Bradley Beal was the main guy. But they, that that unit has been together far too long, and they have too much talent to, to be sitting at, at 500, and I think they're, you know, fifth in the Eastern Conference. But they're a better team than than Miami. There's no reason Miami should be ahead of them. To me, they're, they're, they're my biggest disappointment. Um, there's some other teams that I thought would be in the mix. I thought Charlotte would be a little bit better. But as far as, as the biggest disappointment goes, I, I think uh, Washington has been my biggest disappointment. For more of my conversation with Anthony Barbarin on the NBA at the halfway point, plus the latest backdoor busted crowdfunding project Rob McCallum weighs in on, are available now as a bonus just for downloading our latest show today, on the Discover Pods Awards-nominated Pop Culture Cosmos channel on Apple Podcasts and many more podcast options. Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glass for Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you sticking with us to the end right here on the show. Want to thank Rob McCallum from robmccallumfilms.com for sharing his thoughts this week on the streaming wars, especially as far as Hulu issuing its side of the challenge against Netflix and so many other streaming options. Also as well, I want to thank Anthony Barbarin talking about NBA at the halfway point. And we're breaking down all the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe just before we head into Black Panther in February. And of course, also as well, Infinity War in May. 
So I ask you, Josh, we're up to Thor, which I have thoroughly trashed over the years as being really one of the substandard debuts for any Marvel character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You can check out my detailed thoughts on it on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. There's a guide to the Marvel Cinematic Universe there, and I don't rank it very high. Let's just put it that way. So I think it's a stinker, and I really just just thought it was a bad way to introduce the Thor character. So tell me, Josh, what are your thoughts on Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? If you like to start, and if you really think he got off to a great, great debut in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say he got off to a great debut, but I mean, as far as like, starts go it could have been a lot worse like it could have been incredible hulk or it could have been um parts of captain america because there were parts of captain america that were hard to watch um i don't know i disagree with you there that, but that's the, not that's our next show we'll take okay the okay all right yeah it, it was you know looking back on it i probably like i'll skip certain parts of the movie and now that i've seen where thor ragnarok goes i'm like dude it's just there's so it makes so much of the first like two movies feel like such a huge waste of time. Like even the whole thing, they invested so much time into that relationship with Natalie Portman and nothing. We get nothing. Like it, it, the whole movie feels like a waste of time. The Warriors three. Yeah. And I love those characters. Like that was like one of the, my favorite parts of seeing, cause they were so well acted was the, the thing. Like they took, such a weird odd source material and they acted it out so well and with so much depth like i was super impressed with that if lady sif wasn't working on her show the blacklist she would be at the time she would have been dead too so you know it thor ragnarok changes everything now mind you i enjoyed thor ragnarok infinitely more than i liked thor or thor the dark world but like you said it makes to me a bad movie even worse because like I said, it seems like a waste of time when you look upon it now. Yeah. You know, Thor, the dark world, we'll, we'll get to that. I actually really, really like that movie, but um, you know, I having Kenneth Branagh come in, like I see why they did it because they needed Thor to be like Shakespearean in a way, but Kenneth Branagh, he had never, he's never done an action movie. He's never done anything like that. He's more like, he's, you know, where like Michael Fassbender and, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, they're uh, they're classically trained in acting. Kenneth Branagh is classically trained in directing. I would say, like in those those types of like elegant shots and things like that. But like he, you know, his attempt at an action movie resulted in like more Dutch angles than I have the time to count. And I just don't think that it really captured what Thor was supposed to be. But yet, yet, hear me out. Thor is still very important in the scope of things because you look at you ask anybody who is not like a huge comic fan what they liked about Avengers. And they're going to say, I liked Thor and the Hulk. Like, and girls especially, they're going to say, like, I liked Chris Pine. And that's, you know, Thor, because of that, you know, Chris even if Pine. it's... Chris Pine's from Star Trek. Chris Pine, sorry. Um, Chris, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, so I, I always get them confused because they're both in Star Trek. But uh, Chris Hemsworth was Kirk before, was the father Kirk Yeah, of Kirk. Yeah, and now they're saying they're going to bring him back or something. But Then you got Chris Pratt, and then you got Chris Evans. I don't know, too many Chris's, man, too many Chris's. But yeah, so it's still a very important part of the Marvel mythology, and whether it meant to be or not, whether the Marvel execs, uh, Kevin Feige, wanted that to happen just because of 
you know, he's become such a fan favorite that, you know, they have to, you know, and we already know that he's going to live past uh, Avengers 4 because they're talking about maybe renewing his contract for Thor 4 or whatever you want to say. But because his contract is done as of as of the second second Avengers War movie, he's actually gone on record when he was publicizing his latest film uh, that 12, 12 strong. Yeah. Yeah, 12 strong that his contract as of right now, because he's already finished filming the two Infinity Wars movies, that it is done. And like you said, they may possibly go back to having more Thor down the road, because which speaks to the fact that he may be living through this this next two movies. No, I was talking to the, the uh, Topic Ocalypse guys about this, that like it would be a real tragedy if they didn't adapt a thor movie into um you know the post civil war stuff in the comic books because in the comic books like you have this thor he comes back he's in new mexico and he rebuilds asgard in new mexico so like all the uh inhabitants of that small town where thor took place i don't even know if that's the same one that was in the comic books but they're they inhabit this town and they're all uh they're all gods and you just you don't know it. it's That's kind of not a, a small town that was like a the back of a mini mall yeah yeah but it's just kind of a novelty idea because you have thor like fights iron man because iron man built a fake thor during the civil war and he's basically just trying to figure out like what happened what happened when i was gone what happened during Ragnarok when all this like what was going on on earth while i was taking care of my own stuff and that's just such an interesting aspect for that character for me it seems like a real shame if they didn't make a movie out of it. But well, I, I'll tell you two redeeming things and redeeming things only about Thor. Shoot, go for it. Tell me. Okay, one is obviously it created a outstanding Loki character. Tom Hiddleston playing Loki is absolutely brilliant, and and obviously it it got Marvel to thinking that wow he is really good, and we need to do something to keep his character in the marvel cinematic universe probably a lot longer than he was expected to be in there i don't i don't think he would be around today if he was just you know generic actor playing generic performance in the movie i just don't think he would be around today if if it weren't for thor and thor the dark world and the avengers and all that he would not have been the key character he is today if he just had put in a generic performance in thor and, and and moving on I love his character and they've, they've added a lot of depth and layers over the years. But at this point, if he turns out to be the bad guy that everyone's saying he's going to be in infinity war, do you think it kind of feels like they're beating a dead horse? Like we've seen the same thing over and over and over. And eventually we're going to get to this point where they can no longer develop Loki's character or his relationship with Thor. So they're just going to kill him, And then that's going to be that. Do you think we're going to reach that point? I think we already have with him. I think in Thor Ragnarok that he has already reached that point. He's been developed so much by him and by the writing team so much over the years that I think in Thor Ragnarok, he really didn't have that much to do. And that was to me one of the disappointing things about Thor Ragnarok was that I think his character seemed almost like an add-on is because he's done so well. It's almost like a reward. Hey, we're going to have you put into this movie because you've done so well over the years, but we're really not going to give you a whole lot to do. So uh, I think in Thor Ragnarok, he, he could have the potential to do a lot more, but wasn't given the platform to do so. The second thing I want to say is that it did have one of my favorite characters, Hawkeye, 
actually introduced into that movie, although it was a minimal role and didn't really do much for him until later on, but still it introduced his character to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Not quite the debut that Black Widow had, but oh well, you know, at least he was there. I'm trying to think of like a better way to have introduced that character. And there's not really like Kenneth Branagh, it's not really to blame. And he did the best he could with the source material. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's all you can really ask from something that complicated. So everyone out there, if you have any thoughts on Thor and what it means to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we'd love to hear from you. Please share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. I think Utah should have been a little bit better at this point in the season. But I know they've had injuries with the, well, uh, with with Rudy Gobert mainly being out a good portion of the season, and that affects their entire defense and the way they play their games. So uh, him being out, I know, has caused the Utah Jazz to not exactly be where they need to be, even though they have an outstanding rookie leading the way right now at this point in time. But... I know you talked about Charlotte, and that's a good place where I want to start talking about our next subject. When it comes to Charlotte, they have a great player and one of actually my favorite non-Laker players, because you know I love the Lakers, in Kemba Walker. I think he is an outstanding player. I really like the way he plays. A, A great shooter from outside. I think he's able to go ahead and score wherever he needs to. A little bit undersized but for defensive purposes, but still, he has been an all-star, and even though he's not going to be an all-star this year, he is still playing at a very high level. He is, to me, one of the leading candidates to be traded for a really good pick or good players or something great in exchange. Who are some of the players that you see will be on the trading block coming up very soon? Because we're fast approaching the NBA trade deadline. Well, you know, there there are the main guys. There's, you know, there's been talk around uh, surrounding DeAndre Jordan to Cleveland. Uh, Paul George was early on before they started to pick up the way they they were playing. Kimball Walker's one. I've, I've heard talk to CJ McCollum. Marcus Gasol is another. The main teams that I've heard around it is basically Cleveland. I mean, they're they're the one team who you see as the team that thinks one player, one more player can put them over the top. 
they've been reluctant to get rid of that or to release that Brooklyn Nets pick. That is, at this point, I believe it's uh, the number seven or the number six pick, somewhere around there of where it stands. But they need an influx of youth and athleticism. But those are the players. I mean, DeAndre Jordan is a big one. But as as you see, the Clippers have been moving towards getting back in the playoff front. Kimball Walker, like you said, CJ McCollum. I think actually even a couple of your guys will be on that list. Jordan Clarkson, maybe a Julius Randle. Uh, I wish you would tell me a little all dang, but uh, nobody wants his contract. And there's there's not <laughs> yeah, enough to trade. Wants his contract. Um, yeah, that's, that that'll be a very difficult one to to uh, get rid of. Uh, I, I I feel the same way. I mean, uh, there's there's a guy that we just signed by the name of Danilo Gallinari, who I wouldn't mind getting off the books. But exactly, I couldn't couldn't blame you at all because he instantly gets hangnail and is out for another two weeks. But exactly. Yeah, it's seemingly anyways. But there's also Larry Nance Jr. I know for the Lakers, who's another, could be possible, decent player as far as that's a trading block, you know, candidate. Also as well, I know we mentioned in the past DeMarcus Cousins. If New Orleans starts on a tailspin or New Orleans doesn't really like or enjoy being around the seventh or eighth spot and they don't really want to trade Anthony Davis, the fact that DeMarcus Cousins and his contract status also makes him a candidate to be shipped out uh, at some point as well with Cleveland. But Boston, I think, is a, a easier destination for DeAndre Jordan and also as well a DeMarcus Cousins because Boston, I believe, in my opinion, has even still more bargaining chips that they can dangle in front of teams like the Clippers or New Orleans in order to get them or another player that they desire over to their team over Cleveland because Cleveland is just about that first round pick and some expiring contracts. Maybe the Boston Celtics could throw even out one more draft choice on top of that, but that we'll have to wait and see. I know, Anthony, I'm going to ask you to come back at, right after the trading deadline so we can analyze all the great trades that will come down in the NBA. So I'm definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts and your analysis on exactly how those trades, once they come to fruition, will come out for those teams. And as we look ahead to the NBA playoffs, we'll, we'll go ahead and break that down for you as soon as the trading deadline comes up here in just a couple weeks. Well, you know, it all starts with the MVP balloting because, you know, MVP is is something that a lot of people are, are even from the get-go are focused on. And I know there's still a lot of good players out there that are in are involved. But to me, one player stands out right now, even though their team is not having the greatest of seasons health-wise when it comes to, you know, James Harden. Being out, Kyrie Irving has been out for a little bit. It, to me, it comes down actually to two, Kyrie Irving or LeBron James. I would still go with LeBron James. I think he's having a superior season. I think it's more of a team effort in Boston, and I think it's more of a him effort in Cleveland. To me, he is more valuable at this point in time, but you might have some other thoughts on some players like James Harden or someone else that that might actually be a better choice at MVP. So your thoughts on the most valuable player at this point in the half halfway through the NBA season. Yeah. Halfway through we're, we're halfway through and looking at the players. I mean, there's a lot of candidates. There's 
like we said, LeBron, who's always a candidate and probably should have more than he has. Kyrie's in a discussion. Uh, you got Kevin Durant in, in Golden State. I would even throw DeMar DeRozan in the discussion. But at this point, I mean, he missed a few games. James Harden would still be my top at this point. If he missed any more, if his play goes down, then I can definitely see someone else getting it. James Harden would be my top pick, followed by uh, LeBron and then uh, KD third. Uh, those are my top three guys. Now, KD statistically is having a great season, and he's really focused on his defense with a with uh, and almost. Le- I think he's one of the top five in the league in block shots. But the only thing with Kevin Durant to me is I think the record is worse with him playing and Stephen Curry out of the lineup than with him out of the lineup and Stephen Curry in. So uh, I've seen losses where he's had to take control and. And I don't see that that kind of rallying around his his performance with, yet with the Warriors. I see him almost like last year when he comes in when they're all together and him providing that nice 10 to 15 points in a small amount of time. And then those bursts that only he can do seemingly uh, and providing that two-way from both the defense and offensive end when they're all together, but it's seemingly, even though he's still great, getting great numbers when Stephen Curry's out of the lineup, the team is not winning quite as much. And that's to be expected. I mean, uh, Steph Curry's a top five player. You take that off any team, and uh, most most teams will struggle a bit. However, they you know they have the best record in the league. They're better on the road than they have been at home. I think that's how focused they are when it matters. Um, uh, yeah. At home, you you know. A lot of teams, it, it's reversed. You know, you, you win at home because you got the crowd, you know, you're comfortable, you're relaxed. Um, this team seems like they have that, but when they go on the road, they get focused. And, and that's that's something that's scary. I think Kevin Durant, like you said, I think he's, he slumped a little when Steph Curry initially got hurt. I think they went on a run, though, for a while, and Steph's back now. Uh, his numbers are great. He, he's he's been he's been great on both ends of the court. I think he he's either first or second in blocks. You know he's putting up twenty five plus a game, high rebounds, decent assists. Uh, he he's he's having a he's having a really really great season. Uh, they both the are, ones. and it, it, that's another thing when you're talking about MVP balloting. You've got Kevin Durant on the left and Stephen Curry on the right. And I think they will never win an MVP, either of them, as long as if they both remain somewhat healthy because they're both so great, they both take votes away from each other, if that makes kind of sense. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I, I definitely agree with that. It, because for a lot of people, it's hard to discern who is the guy on the team, who is, you know, uh, the, the leader and the best player on that team. And when you have that, you can split the reasoning of who's the reason they are winning the way they're winning. Um, and so, like you said, that can split votes and it'll cause you, you know, to be out of the running. So, yeah, I, I think it, 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 one and two, it'll come down to James Harden and, and LeBron, uh, whoever, I mean, has the best record probably at the end of the season. I know one knock is, uh, I think where it stands now, but it was, I think they were 10 and seven without Chris Paul when they were, at one point, uh, when he played, they were seventeen and four. 
Um, so that kind of is, is in the same way you talk about Durant. I also know as well, Clint Capella, Chris Paul, and James Harden, when they all played together, they're undefeated. So at, at least as of this taping. So that tells you right there, when they're all playing together, they're pretty hard to beat. Absolutely. And that's just a testament to how they play together. Um, D'Antoni's system and, you know, the continuity that's needed to be successful. Well, one last thing, my friend, before we let you go. Once again, this is Anthony Barbarin, our expert in the NBA and everything round ball. I'll ask you one question, my friend. I know it's the one we always end with, <laughs> and it's always Warriors related. But is anyone close at this point in time, in your opinion, to beating the Warriors and giving them more than a challenge this point in if the NBA Finals were to start today? No. <laughs> there's, there's nobody. <laughs> I keep asking, and I keep getting yeah, the same answer, and I don't blame you a bit. I, unless Cleveland makes I, – I think Cleveland's getting out of the East. Um, unless they make a trade and get, get – get a DeMarcus Cousins or Anthony Davis, some somebody like that, or even somebody, you know, you, you don't expect and, and they can help. I, I just don't see they – the Warriors, I, I say this, the Warriors have the most explosive score in the NBA. And then they also have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. I, <laughs> I think Klay Thompson is the most explosive scorer since Kobe. Like, he's that type of talent, but he's That's also – true. That's true because when he goes off, as we've seen with his, well, his remarkable game, I think it was last year where he didn't even put the ball on the floor. He put the ball on the floor less than five times, and he scored sixty points, I believe, plus. And and uh, that you know, you're right. When with him and Curry and and Durant on the floor at the same time, all it takes is just one of them going off to just put the other team away if they're focused. And you're right as far as their their control and their their attention outside of their home floor. They've won so many in a row uh, away from home, and it just like you said, it just shows that they have a supreme confidence in their abilities, even where other teams are not when they go ahead on an opponent's floor. Golden State is the team; they're the team to beat, barring any injury, which you know is it's professional sports, it's professional basketball, it's grown men banging into each other you never know what can happen but all healthy I, I don't see anybody beating this Warriors team I think they have three Hall of Fame players on the same team um, all in the prime of their careers and uh, that's very tough to beat and Draymond Green right behind them as a possible borderline Hall of Famer himself if he keeps playing like he is uh, and they they still have those teammates that he gets to feed everything to and feed everything through and he keeps playing his defense the way he does, then you could definitely see those four reaching that milestone of another NBA championship at the end of this season. Well, that's uh, uh, definitely some great analysis by our good friend, Anthony Barberin. If you have any questions for Anthony Barberin and you want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the NBA, feel free to drop us a line, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos Game Source, Humanica Media, and Inside Sports on Facebook or Twitter will gladly go ahead and relay the message to Anthony on our next broadcast and definitely share his thoughts on, on what he thinks is going on in the NBA. Like I said, I'm going to bring him back 
if he wants to come back for the NBA trade deadline. And we're going to break down all the good trades, the big trades that went on during that time. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, he'll be able to come back and be able to provide some analysis for us then. But Anthony, I'll tell you what, it's been a good season so far in the NBA. Nothing earth shattering or nothing, I guess, out of the ordinary so far this year, but definitely it's been a, a strong season uh, so far in the NBA. And I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to a great second half of the NBA season and also your insight on what's going on with the NBA. Absolutely. I can't wait to be back, talk a little trade, talk about the playoff push and, and then see where we're going. And we'll see if I can break you down a little bit more on if the Warriors might have a little bit of a challenge. I don't know. It's still uh, pretty firm with me as well, but maybe somebody can pull off a trade that might change our minds. Maybe Boston, maybe Cleveland, maybe even Houston can maybe swing something that will say, hey, this team could be on any given day, be the team to match up to the Warriors. And then again, you and I could still just be laughing it off right away. So definitely a great to hear from you, my friend. It is, once again, Anthony Barberin right here with us at Inside Sports, also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanity Media. Just truly great to have you here, Anthony, and looking forward to talking to you at the trade deadline about all the action going on in the NBA. Okay, thanks for having me. Uh, anytime, my friend, and it's always good to hear from you from the inside sports and also as well, the pop culture cosmos. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Backed or Busted. I'm your host, Rob McCallum, a.k.a. Rob McZob, and we are happy to help highlight your campaign or take a look at your project or even take a look at one that you're interested in to see if it's the real deal or not. Today, we're going to take a look at NES Maker. Let's jump over to Kickstarter and see what this is all about. Okay, so NES Maker. Make NES games, no coding required. Make new cartridge-based hardware playable games for the NES, no programming required at all. Now... I will say right off the top that this and me covering it on Backed or Busted is a massive conflict of interest because I know the creators very well. Joe Granato and I are, are good buddies and uh, we are working together, so I definitely endorse this. And as you can see up here, I am a backer for more than $2,000, not because he's just my friend, but because there's a lot going on in this campaign that has been done very well. But that doesn't mean everything in this campaign is done well, and I know there's at least one or two things that I don't like in the campaign, or at least that could be done the other way. Now, that's very hard for me to say because... He launched this three days ago, and he's already at $40,000 almost of his goal of 32000 So within about 24, 26 hours, he hit his goal. Now, I already want to jump right into everything, but let's, let's just stop and, and pump the brakes right now and just take a look at the video, and then we can dive into what that video does, how it works, and continue on. Again, like a lot of projects, this is one that Kickstarter loves. But uh, just, just keep that in mind, too, and how that can help some of these numbers. Okay, so let's hit play. Man, I wish you could make a Nintendo game. Yeah, our game would be totally wicked. Whoa! Joe! Austin! Who are you? Who are you? From the future! 30 years in the future! We came to bring you Nestmaker! 
our tool to create brand new cartridge-based hardware-playable NES games. Wouldn't that take a lot of computer programming? No, Young Joe, that's the best part! We explained it all on this VHS tape! If you're watching this, that means our time travel experiment worked! <laughs> but that's not the important achievement. We're here to talk to you about Nestmaker. You see, traditionally, if you wanted to make a NES game, you had to spend months, if not years, learning this archaic programming language called 6502 assembly. But what if you're not a programmer? What if you're an artist or a storyteller? What if there was a way to create brand new cartridge-based hardware-playable NES games without writing a single line of code? Design your hero. Create your monsters. Build your world. Tell your story on real NES hardware. With an intuitive front-end interface. This isn't some hypothetical thing. Nestmaker already exists. In fact, we've been around the country for the last year or so showing it off, and this is what some people had to say. It really, I mean, it's amazing. It's easy. Uh, I don't write any programming myself, personally. I don't have to use this tool, which is amazing. So I'm really excited about this project. It's going immediately from what you envision to the screen without that sort of middle part. This is going to make my world so much easier. Thank you. <laughs> I've never made a game, and it's really easy, and I had lots of fun. With almost no tutorials, I figured out how to make a whole level let's of a put, video game. Let's put yours up there. That's yeah. crazy. I was looking forward to the game, but now I'm looking forward to making my own game. So, if it's already a thing, why are we on Kickstarter? Well, since Nestmaker was really created so that we could build our game, it's optimized for making adventure games. And while it can be manipulated to make other styles of games, we want to create genre modules. And those genre modules would optimize the underlying code and the front end for whatever kind of game that you want to build. Alright, so if they do back us, what kind of rewards are we looking at? Our primary rewards, Nestmaker, the software. Nestmaker Kit. The software, blank cartridge, and Kazo Flasher. Everything you need to get started. Nestmaker Pro. The software, a blank cartridge, and a Kazo Flasher in this stylish case. Everything you need to get started in style. I know this may have opened up a lot of questions. So we polled our supporters to get the most common questions that people had, and we posted to our Kickstarter. There's a very long video that should answer most of the things you might be wondering. So check that out. Check out the rest of the campaign. And if you still have questions, reach out to us for backing. We'll try to answer them as best we can. What kind of games do we make in the future? Yeah! Well, there's only one way to find out. Okay, so that's the NES Maker uh, video. Let's just step through that quickly. So it starts off with a nice little logo. And then we have basically a little bit of a, a narrative kind of conceit here where, uh, where Joe and Austin, because I know them, are like Doc and Marty, but a little bit like Bill and Ted as well, where they're visiting their past selves. They basically introduce the concept and set up the pitch. And then they start explaining how it works and how it came to be. And then you get to see it basically in action there, sped up. And then you get to hear testimonials from other people who have played it or uh, used it to create something. 
more testimonials, testimonials, which I think are an important part of videos. If you can get testimonials and do that, it's always nice. And talking about different genres and how that can work. So then they go into the rewards as well. Now, as far as the video itself, it is a little long. It's running at 345 here. I don't know that they could have gone. I don't think they had to do all the uh, rewards. And I think there's a few that they did leave out. This is kind of funny. It does work. I don't think they had to go into the stretch goal stuff with the different uh, genres here. That could have been cut down. The testimonials are certainly important. It's nice. And then to have this added little narrative intro and outro, it's not bad to be honest. It's it's good. It's funny. It shows that they know what they're doing, or at least can put together a nice video. And you get to see the creators, which I'm always a big fan of. So uh, it does check that box off. So the only thing that I'm going to dig them on is length, uh, which they could have achieved by reducing some of the other uh, content that they had featured. Now, of course, we're talking about NES games, which is another way of saying Nintendo Entertainment System games for the original Nintendo. Uh, again, this is a massive conflict of interest because I'm a big fan of Joe. We work together, but we can still look at his campaign to see what works, what doesn't work, and what he could possibly do differently and uh, kind of share that around. Obviously, he's doing a bunch of stuff differently, and whether I'm a huge backer or a friend or not, it's good to see a campaign that works well and why it works well. So, uh, right away, we take the mystery out, and bam, I'm a backer. So this this uh, this project, I'm officially backing it. Okay, now that that drama's over with, let's move on here. So let's start with the campaign, as always. What is Nestmaker? Nestmaker is a software tool for creating brand-new hardware-playable cartridge-based games for the Nintendo Entertainment System without having to write a single line of code. A few years ago, while developing our own NES game engine and the archaic 6502 assembly language, yada, 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 he found that this was hard, it took a lot of work, and create, recruited other people to help develop this tool. Before we knew it, we had created NES Maker. So basically, he found that it was a lot of hard work to use the old way of doing it with uh, hex tables, and he wanted to make it easier. So he found a way to do that. And now everybody gets to do this. So what can you currently do with Nestmaker? You can design spike graphics and color palettes, create assets with properties and behaviors to give developing for the NES an object-oriented feel. Uh, you can use text editor to create text strings for NPCs and other narrative devices. You can create special screens like start screens, end screens, menus, maps, and more. Custom, customize AI, set initial parameters, items obtained, player strengths, defense, uh, starting screen. Uh, use the base engine to create adventure games, basic RPGs, platformers, basic brawlers, and several other types of games. Assemble with one click for testing an emulator. Flash to cartridge for one click for play on actual hardware. So here's, here's the abbreviated way of how it works, which is a really nice graphic. Um, <clears throat> this is nice that it's in bullet points. I maybe would have parred this down here to just say, we, we've been making an NES game. 6502 assembly language is hard. It is for programmers. We are not programmers. We decided to make a tool that would make it easier for us. I get the story, but he could have parted it down. I like this. This is very easy to read. This is nice as well. It takes up a lot of screen space, but because the, the text is small, it had to be big by the looks of it. Get an idea for a game, create graphic assets, build screens, test an emulator, flash to cartridge, play on NES. That's awesome. So that's that's easy. That's the, the six-step process. And he's got a bunch of videos that you can uh, use to walk through everything. Why they need Kickstarter. So this is good. So we've started with, right at the top here, what it is, 
how it came to be and what the kind of need it fills, what you can do with it, how it works in terms of uh, the development cycle, and then why they need Kickstarter. So they've really laid the groundwork, I think, in the right order there. So NES Maker is currently a little rougher on the edges, designed to meet our needs. Now we're attempting to expand and need some UI work. Okay, so we're going to be streamlining it and basically making it a little bit friendlier. And they want to build upon the tool and expand its current uh, capabilities. One of the core ways we intend to do this is by building a genre module. So we've got Adventure Module, Platform Module, RPG Manual, Brawler Module, and Shooter Module. These base engines cover many genres. For instance, tweaking the base module, both adventure game and platform could be utilized to create a Metrovania-style side-scroller. A shooter could be cleverly modified to create a, a, a runner. Brawler could be manipulated to create a versus game, and so on and so on. Where will the funds be exactly going? So that's always an important question. Let's keep it incredibly simple. 30% of funds raised through the crowdfunding campaign will go towards Kickstarter fees and taxes. A small portion, less than 10%, will be relegated towards further marketing. The rest will be split, split paying our team and hardware rewards. That makes sense to me. Those numbers do line up. And then if we still have questions, here's a video right here uh, that has a lot of questions. Now, I don't like this. Uh, they have, There's a frequently asked question section specifically to answer questions. I get that these guys are filmmakers. Uh, and they want to kind of put it, video stuff out there, but it's a lot quicker for me to read questions and scan through them to see if they have answered the one I wanted or to even fire one back. This is a little bit more passive. It takes me off Kickstarter and further away from the ability to pledge. Let's take a look at risks and challenges. I know more than anyone that developing for the NES takes time as we spent an unexpected three years developing and refining our current engine, and I have continually had to morph it to work with an evolving tool. That is one of the reasons Mystic Searches is still in development. Mystic Searches is uh, an NES game that Joe is creating based on a other Kickstarter that he did for his documentary, The New 8-Bit Heroes, which you can check out now on Amazon. It is possible that each genre module presents new challenges to tackle uh, than more time anticipated. However, since the engine and tool are digital deliverables and are to be patched and updated, we will be able to deliver the tool in the state that it's in at the time of expected delivery, adding potential genre models and updated features as they are completed. So basically, they're hoping to get it out the door, and because things are digital, they can uh, send you uh, updates that you can just download and plug in, which is nice. Okay, so let's go through the rewards. $5, just a show of support. Basically, pledging this level, you'll get a thank you message from the team as well as digital images to share on social media and use as desktop wallpaper. Uh, again, I'm a fan of the $1 show of support. You have all these assets, they're digital, they're not costing you money. You have 55 bucks here. Maybe it's, uh, this is more of like a real, real deal show of support, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of showing like support for a buck for anybody uh, that might want to find out and, and keep up with it. Five bucks feels like I should be getting a little bit more than that. 36 bucks, uh, NES Maker Software. Get started creating NES games with the software. So you want to start going, making your games, 36 bucks gets you in. It's, it's really that simple. Uh, you can, and then you can get the hardware components later, which is what we got here. NES Maker Toolkit, NES Maker. Get the Casual USB cartridge cart flasher and a blank reflash, reflashable cartridge. This provides all the software and hardware you need to make your NES game. So that's kind of the all-in-one package for $88. Ships anywhere in the world. NES Maker Pro. Basically get everything that you had before, except for you get it inside a fancy retro-inspired... Uh, housing and be part of the NES Maker beta testers will have access to every beta version of the software beginning within a month of the Kickstarter's end. So that's cool. Basically beta access 
and everything else that's coming out. NES Pro Gold, uh, you're going to get limited run of gold flasher housings, plus the beta testers and everything else from that. $10,000, your game created, your project will go in queue, and it'll be created by the Alpha team at the New Bit Heroes. All the art, music, narrative, the mechanics, everything you've dreamed of creating without lifting a finger. Delivery date will be determined by many factors. Please ask for details. Shipping costs and NES Maker Pro reward here are included. So that's wicked. And then the other uh, reward is the one I selected for $2,000. Uh, pledge two grand or more sponsor a module be immortalized is your vision a specific platform game an rpg a space shooter by sponsoring a module we'll not only work hard to create the module for use with the tool but you'll be immortalized in the foundation of nes maker people will, will be able not people will be able not only use for instance the platform engine but they'll be specifically using it to create joe eat your neighbors platform engine this reward comes with all others featured as well so basically um this is a fancy way when you go into this module here to create your we'll say platformer it's not just going to be create platform game it'll be create rob mccallum's platformer game so that is one of the reasons why i sponsor this so because i have my eyes set on an rpg uh, based on my film nintendo quest that's what i've been working with joe on so when you go to make an rpg uh, with with nes maker nes maker you're going to have to pick the Gamer Quest or the, the Rob McCallum Nintendo Quest RPG module to get going. So it's a little bit of marketing and it's going to be there forever, which is really nice. So let's count the rewards so we have an idea of, of what that looks like. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Boom, they hit that right on the head. There's seven rewards. That's fantastic. I'm going to jump right over to KickTrack now and see if we can find NES Maker. Okay, here we are. Now, it's again, like I said, we're only three days into it, so it's we're not going to have a lot of data to go on, um, but you can see day one and day two have been great. Actually, day two was bigger than day one. Day one, they did 16,972. Day two, they did 17,522, and already on day three, they're at 5,100 here. Here are the number of backers per day, 158, 166, 53. The projection is probably going to go crazy high. Well, not enough days yet so they they've only got two days to draw up on so they probably need i think five or six before they can do that here's the trend they're trending over four hundred thousand dollars right now now that's going to fall back down to earth uh if i had to take a guess uh with where they are right now i would say that they could probably top out at 65 or so 65 70 not too sure they don't have any uh press at the bottom yet that joe has not put any tags in there uh let's see if they're on the hot list see if they're on the hot list they're not it doesn't look like they're on the main one let's see if they're on games no they're not on games let's let's see if they're on video games there they are nes maker number three so it went down to so it was the number one spot on the the kick track hot list video game projects so that's cool that it was at the top here they are still at number three that's still a really respectable uh place to be back to nes maker so like i said things that they're doing well the number of rewards are very clear there's only seven it's super easy to understand and follow uh the campaign body other than trimming some of this stuff up a little bit it isn't too bad uh the modules basically as stretch goals makes a lot of sense that's that makes sense. I would really rework the, the frequently asked questions section. Why don't we just jump over there right now? 
A lot of pressing questions can be answered here at the link below. You're killing me, guys. You are killing me. Hit us up directly and we'll answer as best as we can. Surely you guys have 10 minutes to answer here in the frequently asked questions and post questions and put answers versus making a video every time. That's the only problem that I have with this so far. Uh, comments, tons of comments. People are excited. Uh, lots of lots of people here super backers and joe's a five-time creator basically clarifying so he's doing a lot of work answering questions within the comments which is nice as well super backers let's jump over to community so of the 380 backers 294 are from the state so this is definitely a domestic campaign five backers from vegas five from la five from new york so pretty evenly across the cities there's no one city that seems to be above and beyond uh anybody else uh, the U.S. is clearly the front runner, and it's interesting to see uh, the U.K., the United Kingdom, number two, with Canada, number three, and then Germany, Spain, as as we go on. Forty-seven new backers. That's nice. That's really impressive for Joe, who's a five-time creator now. He's obviously pulling in a lot of people that have Kickstarter experience before. Good for him. Uh, and forty-seven new people are brought to Kickstarter because of him. That is fantastic. I like uh, I like what I see here, guys. Again, I have uh, already put my money where my mouth is. I have backed this. And I'm uh, proud to be a backer of it. If you want to check it out, go now to Kickstarter, NES Maker. Make some NES games yourself. No coding required. Love to play it. If you have any other campaigns, if you want me to highlight your project, as so many people have actually reached out, and I want to say thank you for all the consultations that you've had me do, uh, reach out to me on Twitter, at Rob McZob, or here at crowdfundingspectacular99 at gmail.com. Happy to get in touch with you and give you some pointers. Thanks so much, and we'll see you guys next time. Mm -hmm.